This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. going to point out that we serve a God who's a covenant giver, a covenant maker, but he's also a covenant keeper. He keeps his covenant. And the word covenant means, you know, a disposition or a compact. And most covenants are between two people, but sometimes it's only between one person as God made a covenant with Abraham. If you remember that covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, I'll multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky. That was a one-way covenant. God made a promise to Abraham, which he kept. He never asked for anything in return. As humans, we sometimes take God for granted and expect nothing but the best from Him. We do get what we ask for, but we never give God anything in return. Pastor Eddie explains today how you can make a covenant with God and serve Him in everything you do. God sent His only Son, Jesus, to die for you on the cross. What can you do to serve Him? Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 8. As he continues his message, Jesus, High Priest of a Better Covenant. Verse 1, let's read, let's read verse 1 into 2 so we get the context here. Now, this is the main point of things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated on the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. And so the great high priest, Jesus Christ, is ministering in the heavenly sanctuary. There that was created by God. No man has created heaven, only God himself. He created heaven and earth, and he created his place. And we see Jesus, he set the example of ministering. You know the word minister is the word servant in the Greek? It is the word servant. And quite often, ministers who have this title, title minister, you know, or whatever title, they tend to want to be served rather than serve. So whoever has a title of minister should be the one to serve. And Jesus set the example of serving when he was here on earth. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it said, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give him his life, a ransom for many. Jesus set the example of serving. Here we have the master our Lord, the creator, washing the very feet that he created on the disciples. And disciples didn't know, wait, Lord, you wash my feet. Jesus humbled himself. But he continues daily, as we mentioned earlier, and here's the verse, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It says, therefore he, speaking of Christ, is also able to serve to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives always lives to make intercession for them. So the only one, and that's his desire. His ministry now, okay, his ministry continues. We looked at the three tenths of save in the scripture. And you'll find save, being saved, 
and will be saved. We discussed this last week, right? Saved, being saved, and will be saved. Three-tenths is justification, sanctification, and glorification. That is the doctrine of saved. People just worry about the justification. That's great, but sanctification is just as important because ultimately you want to stand before the Lord in glorification. And that's what he does. This is the reason why he ministers. You think it stopped at the cross for you and I? No, no. We need him more. Not, we don't need his prayers for salvation. We need his prayers to keep us in line with the Lord, in relationship with him, so that we can be sanctified as we live for the Lord. And so he does this now in the heavenly place, in the tabernacle, not an earthly tabernacle. Now, the earthly tabernacle was a copy of the things already in heaven. And when the Lord gave Moses those instructions in Exodus chapter 25 to 31, it was to give a picture. You'll see how detailed the instructions were as far as having cherubims on the panels of the tabernacle, the holy of holies. You know, the golden altar of incense, that little, that's the closest piece of furniture to the Holy of Holies, by the way. And that's the altar where they would burn incense, which is prayer. The closest piece of furniture to the most powerful Ark of the Covenant is that altar of incense. That's why prayer is important. It's why Jesus said, my house would be a house a prayer, but everything was a picture of heaven. It was a picture what was here earthly from Moses. All was a copy of something that already have existed in heaven. And there is where our Lord ministered. Let's look at verse three. He goes on to say, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, speaking of Christ, this one also have something to offer. Verse 4, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Now, on the earthly tabernacle, the priest would offer the gifts. You find that in the feast and according to the law, according to what's written in scripture. But in heaven, in the true tabernacle, there the Lord has erected, not man. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, offered a better sacrifice, a superior sacrifice. And what was that sacrifice? Himself. No man could take my life, he says. I lay it down. He offered himself. Think about that. The creator of the universe who created heaven and earth before even existed, he has no beginning and no end. We cannot comprehend that. Maybe we get a little bit more understanding when we get to heaven. I like what Chuck Smith would say. He says, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be dumber than you are now. <laughs> you're going to be a lot smarter. It's going to be an intuitive knowledge. You're going to know things. You're going to know things right off the bat. You're going to have a, the glorified body, obviously. You're going to have a glorified mind. And so you're going to be one with the Lord. You're going to know these things. But before that, we're talking about the creator of the universe laying down his life, leaving his throne in glory to take our place in Calvary. Jesus Christ gave his life to pay for the sins of the world. According to the old covenant, the law, you know, the sacrifice of animals would only covered sin. It only covered sin because they would have to do it again every year. The priest had to do it every day. 
you see. However, Jesus Christ, the great high priest, is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin, doesn't cover it with sin. Never you find it a language. The language you find in Christ as being the high priest laying down his life for us is not to cover sin, not to throw it under the rug, but to take away our sin. This is what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who covers our sin? No, takes away the sins of of the world and that's what he's done as high priest verse 5 he said who served the copy and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle for he said the Lord said to him see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain build it exactly as I tell you exactly and you know It's more than just having a little tabernacle where they could come in and seek the Lord. But it's to point to how heaven would be. I know to the children of Israel back then, they probably looked at the tabernacle and said, wow, this is beautiful. Gold and cherubims on the panel. It was the best tabernacle. It was a big tent, but that tent was better than all the other tents on the campus. Because it's to point to Jesus. And it points to the heaven heaven of heavens. And so we have a great high priest. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to relate to the Jewish believers who at this time were going through severe persecution. They found a new faith in Christ. They found that Jesus is the Mashiach, the Messiah. They were tempted to go back to the temple, to the high priest. And what he's trying to say to the Jewish believers, the first readers of Hebrews, and he's what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you and I, is that we believe and worship the real thing. We believe and worship the real God. That was a shadow. That was a copy. We worship the real thing who is in the real heaven. You know, we don't worship shadows. And, you know, the Old Testament, again, was to give a picture of what would come. That's what Paul tells in Galatians. We don't worship the shadow. You know, when I come home, if I haven't been home for a long time, and my wife wants to hug me, and I come in, the sun is shining back on me, and there's my shadow. She's not going to hug the shadow. <laughs> my dogs don't do that, you know. She's not going to look at the pictures. Oh, how you doing? <laughs> no, the actual thing. And so we worship the real priest, the high priest who is serving, doing his priestly ministry in the real heaven. Let's look at verse six. He says, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant. You see, the high priest was a mediator for the old covenant. The things written in the Old Testament, the Jews would call it the Tanakh. And so we have a better high priest. He made that clear in verses 1 through 4. We have a better minister. We saw that in verse 5. Now he points that our minister, our great high priest, has served. He's a mediator for a better covenant. Now the word covenant in the Greek is diadeke. That is the Greek word for covenant. It's mentioned 34 times in the New Testament. 19 of those 34 times is mentioned in this letter, the book of Hebrews. Again, because he's pointed, this is important, because the 
first readers of Hebrews were Jewish believers. They wanted to go back to that covenant. They wanted to be dependent on that covenant. But he's going to point out that, yeah, we serve a God who's a covenant giver, a covenant maker, but he's also a covenant keeper. He keeps his covenant. And the word covenant means, you know, a disposition, a compact. And most covenants are between two people. But sometimes it's only between one person. As God made a covenant with Abraham, if you remember that covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, I'll multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky. That was a one-way covenant. Because the Lord did not say, well, I'll keep my end of the bargain if, Abraham, you do this and that. No, the Lord did not say that to Abraham. You remember when he fell into a deep sleep and they had to cut animals in ancient times? That's what they would do as a contract. They didn't write it down. They didn't get lawyers. They would take these animals and cut the animals and go right through, walk right through the blood. And what they were to, that is to say that if, if you don't keep your part of the deal, whatever happens to these animals is going to happen to you. And that's where we get that term, cutting a deal. It goes back. But that was a covenant God made only one way. That's why when Sarah was impatient, if you remember, and she said, Oive, it's almost 10 years now. The Lord promised that we're going to have a child. Here's Hagar. Did God take away that promise? No, he blessed his seed too because it wasn't based on what Abraham would do, but God's promise. So that's a covenant. But here, he's going to bring the issue about this covenant, the covenant we find in the Old Testament, and it's going to be a new covenant. A covenant is being kept, and God keeps his covenant. We know that, and we have a hard time believing people and trusting people. Why? Because men lie. We lie to each other, and people don't keep their promises. Romans chapter 3, verse 4 says, let God be true, but every man a liar. Let's look at verse 6 again. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. A better covenant is based on a better promise. And so covenants in those days were based on a promise. So with that covenant is a promise that comes with it. And because, you know, man breaks covenant, but God doesn't. He doesn't break his promises. He keeps his covenant. So his promises, so because he keeps his promises, he keeps his word, he keeps his covenant. Look at verse 7. For if the first covenant, speaking of the old covenant in the Old Testament, had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. A second. Now, the Old Testament, again, spoke of a promise of a new covenant. This time, the Jews would probably at least recall the prophet Jeremiah spoke of a new covenant. They probably, I wonder how many Jews before uh, Christ came in the scene had ever looked at that text and realized, well, we got this covenant. A Levitical covenant, we, we go through the Torah, we go through everything, and it's speaking of a new covenant. They couldn't understand that. Because the new covenant is through Christ. He needs to come, you see. But it was promised. And if there is a promise of a new covenant, then that means the first covenant, the first covenant was not sufficient. That should go into minds. Why would we need a new covenant? The first covenant was sufficient. 
And so if God established a new covenant, that would mean that there would be something lacking in the old covenant. And yes, it did. Now, remember, keep in mind, we, we studied this about the law. Paul tells us the law is holy, it's spiritual, it's perfect. But it never made anyone perfect. The law is perfect because the law points us to God. The law was never given for man to fulfill. It's impossible for man to fulfill the first one. There's 613 commandments. But you can't fulfill the first one of the first 10 to more laws. Thou shalt have no other God before me. But it was never given for man to fulfill only the Messiah, number one. Number two, it just points the fact that we are sinful and he's a holy God. That's the purpose of the law. So it was perfect, but it made no one perfect. Who had to make someone perfect? Not the law, but Jesus, you see. It is through Christ. And so there's nothing wrong with the old covenant. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. There was everything wrong with the people. Everything wrong with the people. Over and over again, the people would break the law, the covenant. They'd go against it. And this is why the high priest had to, over and over again, offer up sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And so the writer, when now he's, he's going to do, he's going to quote that prophecy spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. It's a prophecy he gave back in the Old Testament, the, you know, in Jeremiah, in the book named after him, Jeremiah chapter 31 Verses 31 to 34, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, and he's going to quote that in the very remainder part, most part of this passage. As a matter of fact, this is the largest Bible quote in the book of Hebrews, because you know the writer of Hebrews, he went to rabbinical school, something before he gave his life to Christ, but he's been quoting scriptures to prove his point. And now he's going to make a long quote, quoting from Jeremiah. And so let's look at verse 8 and through 9. He said, because finding fault with them, speaking of the covenant, he says, and here's the quote of Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. A new covenant. And as soon as God said, there's going to be a new covenant. Now, this is a prophecy around 586 B.C. Okay, 586 B.C. by the prophet Jeremiah. As soon as he said, I'm going to make a new covenant at the very hour that the prophet Jeremiah said these words, it has made the old covenant temporary. Right off the bat, right there, it was temporary as soon as he prophesied that. And that was the point. God wanted to let them know this is temporary. Why? Look at verse 9. He said, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. That's when they were set free from the bondage of slavery. And God took them by the hand. He made this covenant. The first covenant God made with Israel. You'll find that Exodus chapter 24 verses 1 through 8. Why a new covenant? Read on at the end of verse 9. Because they did not continue in my covenant And I disregarded them, says the Lord. And we see that over and over again as we study how God dealt with the children of Israel. The children of Israel, God delivered them out of bondage. What did they do? They complained. We need to go back to Egypt. You know, the food was good there. Yeah, we were dying. We were slaves. But hey, the food was good there. Or they committed adultery, created a calf, the golden calf. 
or they wanted to elect their own leader disregarding God's choice of Moses and Aaron in Numbers chapter 14. And again, again, after all these commandments and all these laws, they continue to break them. And so over and over again, you know, something needed to save them. And the old covenant couldn't do it. It was with the old covenant. It was do this and live. (laughs) That was it. Do this and you shall live. This is what the Lord said to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 1. It says, now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgment which I teach you to observe that you may live. Obviously, you know, they were going to die when the time comes. But if they didn't obey this, then they will die a lot sooner than planned. And so when the people of Israel sin, the priests have to make sacrifice of animals. Again, only covered a sin, but never took away the sin. However, with the new covenant through Jesus Christ, through the new covenant through Jesus Christ, Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 28, he says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see, with both the old and the new covenant, there had to be a shedding of blood. But there's only one blood that could permanently take away sin, not cover it, and that's the blood of Christ. And that's what makes Jesus' blood far better and more superior. It wasn't of animal. It was through our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And so Jesus takes away the sin, and when he takes away the sin, this is the important thing that... We need to understand, as believers in Christ, God will remember it as far as east or the west. He will remember no more. Psalms chapter 103, verse 12, the psalmist write this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Removed, that's it. As far as the east is from the west. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. In verse 10, he says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, said the Lord, I would put my laws in their mind and write them in the heart. Now, this portion right here is very important. He said, I would put my laws in their mind and write them in the heart. To speak of the eternal. This is new for them. It's speaking of the eternal. Write them in their mind and in their hearts. And he goes on to say, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 11 None of them shall teach his neighbor. That is speaking of the external. Okay? So before with the old covenant, with the law, it was external. Do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't. And it was visual. We can actually see it. But with the new law is eternal. He says in verse 11, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. Friends, we're so glad you decided to join us today here on Running the Race. Pastor Eddie has been taking us through the book of Hebrews in a series titled, Jesus is Better. Within its pages, you hear about great people of faith. Do you feel like you could live a life like these great people of faith? You realize they weren't perfect, right? Our hope is that these messages are empowering you to see and believe that you can be a person of great faith too. One way to grow in your faith and understanding of God is by joining up with others who love and serve God. Here's Jessica with an invitation just for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. 
We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. For the rest of us, remember that you can find more messages from Pastor Eddie on that same website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to learn more from the book of Hebrews. For today, our time has come to a close, but we'll be back again next time and hope you will too. Come back to hear Pastor Eddie share more from this great book of Hebrews, here on Running the Race. 